Well, before we get started picking up uh, back on our series here, I'd like you to take your Bibles and meet me in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, and we'll read these 10 verses here, stopping for comment here and there. You know, the 4th of July is coming up, and I think it's very important that we remember who we are in Christ. You know, when I was born, I was born at a certain hospital in a certain city, and that's always going to be true of me. And I think there's a tendency for people to always try to remember their roots, where they came from, who they are. This is how they root for their sports teams. This is how they, you know, identify themselves with people from the area. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think there's a real temptation to ignore who we are now in Christ. See, when I was 12 years old and I put my faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the payment of my sin, I was born again. Didn't feel any different. I just now had the truth that as far as my sin was concerned, it's paid. I was 12 years old. I'm not becoming the greatest theologian in the world as soon as I trust Christ as my Savior. I still had a lot to learn. That summer, we stopped going to the church that we grew up in, and we started coming here to Calvary. And I started to, little by little, learn what was being taught to me. It wasn't until Dr. Lindstrom passed away in 2008 that I recognized how much more time I could have put in to sitting under his teaching. There's nothing special necessarily about him except one thing. He decided to teach the Word of God. I put a video out this week that really, really ruffled some feathers. has almost 3,000 views in just two days of being posted. It's because I mentioned one man's name. And this guy, he's a very, very famous preacher. He goes out there and he gives these riveting speeches, but he continually points people back to themselves to determine if they are really saved. You'll hear this a lot. Genuine, true, authentic faith. It's all a work of the devil to get you to doubt what God has already done. I hope that that is just so clear what I've said to you, so that there's no question where this ministry stands, which is on the Word. People didn't like it. The video is almost 12 minutes long, and the average viewer watches about three minutes. And it's funny. When they get to three minutes, that's when we start talking about the Bible That's when we start looking at Romans chapter 8 and verse 33 that says, Who can bring anything against God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who can condemn? Nobody. It is Christ that has died and risen again. You know, I think it's funny that having the access to those analytics, you can see people don't like to hear what the Bible has to say. It condemns their thoughts. It condemns their positions. But I'm so glad that I'm in a ministry that stood on the Word of God and taught it every single Sunday. And Sunday night, and Wednesday night too. And one of the things I want to lead with before we get into our series, when we're thinking about America, the birth of this country, is that we're on a decline, folks. We're on a decline. There are bills that have been passed in the state of Michigan now where if you misgender somebody, if you walk up to somebody in the public space and you call them what they are and they don't like that, that you can be jailed if you don't pay a fine. The government is now in the business of coercing you what you can and cannot say. 
And this is very important for us to understand that the freedoms we enjoy here, yes, they're God-given, but if you have a government that does not believe in God anymore, those God-given rights are called into question. And I'm not here to take the battering ram and just beat America to death. That's not my intention today. My intention is to remind you who we really are. I am thankful that I am an American, but I am not proud of this country. And I'm so glad that there is something else that I can live for. And I see a lot of people, even the people that are in the comments section of this recent video, they are standing on their own pride and their own good works And they're putting it next to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And they violate Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9 where it says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's a lot of teachers out there that are teaching to people with itching ears. They're telling them fables. And there are many who are just preaching damnation and destruction on those who are carnal Christians. That's why our series on Sunday nights right now going back through the book of Hebrews and looking at these specific warnings are warnings to believers who do not live right that God will discipline you. But there is nothing to support that those people were never saved to begin with. But I'm glad when I took a class here by Dr. Lindstrom and I came across these set of verses, I recognized as a young man that I don't have to live with the only identification that I'm from Tampa, Florida. I don't have to live with the only identification being that I'm a Floridian or that I'm from the United States. Something happened when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. There was a new birth and now I am a new creature and I am instructed to walk in that new nature. And it started very slowly to change how I look at everything and it wasn't until my junior year in college here that I recognized what a great opportunity I have to die to myself and live unto Christ. All of this is a process of knowing the Word and doing what it says. It's like washing laundry over and over and over. It's so dirty, you put it in there and you got to wash it again, you got to wash it again, you got to wash it again. You ever wash chapstick in your clothes before? You'll know it because you'll look like you know, a spotted dog when it comes out of the dryer. I think actually there should be a legitimate world record for people that actually use an entire tube of chapstick. I've never done it. Kyla just did it a couple of weeks ago, and it was monumental. She said she was spinning the the bottom of it, and she was like, there's no more, because we're always washing it or forgetting it or whatever. Well, you got to put that laundry back in and wash it again and get it dry again. Sometimes you have to do several cycles to get those stains out. I really think that's how we should look at the application of God's Word. There are things that we understand about ourselves, our flesh nature, that have to be spoken to by the truth. And it's not going to take one Sunday for us to get totally in the best condition to serve the Lord. There are habits that we have to unlearn. But allow that process to happen. You fully give it to God, and it will happen. It's a guarantee. As long as you keep yielding and submitting... God will do a work in your life. I 100% believe that, not only because the Bible says it, but because I've seen it. Look in chapter nine, or excuse me, uh, verse 19 of chapter 3 in Galatians. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. 
Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given a life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. You should pay attention to that statement. If there was anything in the law that would have yielded righteousness by man's ability, then it would have been able to do that. And it doesn't. Why? Is the law the problem? No, we're the problem. The law points us to our need for a Savior. Look in 22. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin. I like that word all because you know what it means? All. When I go to Golden Crown, it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. I'm so glad there's not sections that are all but not you. You know what I'm saying? And we laugh because we understand that word. But folks, there are many people out there with more letters after their name than I have after mine in degrees and studies who look at that word and say it doesn't really mean all. It doesn't really mean all. And that's dangerous. That's for another day. But it says that all are under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that what? Believe. Got a lot of people in the comment section of this video saying, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You misunderstand believe. If you believe, you'll, you'll do. Did David, King David, believe the punishment for fornication and adultery? He sure did. Did he do it? He sure did. As a matter of fact, I heard a very interesting commentary when David was approached by Nathan. He was given that story about the rich man who took from the, the, the poor man with one lamb and all that. David had right... His, he was so angry that he was ready to go out and get this guy as if this was a true report. And Nathan brings down the hammer and says, Thou art the man. But he gives David some assurances after David says, I've sinned against the Lord and him alone. Nathan says, You're not going to die. You're not going to die. I read an opinion that thought the reason why Nathan said that is because David was in the position to accept the punishment that he was supposed to bear, which was death. Not only did he commit adultery, he also had Uriah killed by sending him to the front lines. You remember Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. So David believed the consequences. But even though he believed those consequences, did not mean that he obeyed them. Why? Why, why, why? Because we still have an old sinful nature. It is an error to take believing and make it equal to doing. Otherwise, James would not have had to say, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. You would have done it naturally. There would be no need to talk to the Corinthian church because there would be no carnality. Believe means exactly what it says. You believe. You trust in what Jesus did in your place. And anybody who wants to complicate that, make that harder than what it is, is not teaching the freedom that is in Christ. Verse 23. <coughs> but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster or our teacher for this purpose, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by what? 
it would be a good thing for you to circle justified by faith and connect it to the end of 22 where it says, faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And here is my point that I want to make. 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Do you know he just, he just said the whole world there? There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I am thankful for this nation and for the freedoms that I enjoy here. But I am a child of God now. And there are different responsibilities that come with that. I should look at what my nation chooses to do and ask myself, is this in line with God? Nancy Pelosi recently, we, can't, we just can't get her to be quiet and go away. I don't know what's going on. But she recently said, and folks, this is, this is shocking. The Democrat wants to win 2024? Run on abortion. Don't make it a side issue. Don't make it something that, you know, it happens, but we don't talk about it. Run on it. I really am a single-issue voter. When it comes to abortion, it shouldn't happen at any week. Amen. It shouldn't happen at all. Now, people are going to, well, that's a hard line. You need to be able to wiggle. I'm not going to wiggle on murder. I'm not going to do it. But it is so shocking to me that the leading voice on trying to get your vote is to come down on an issue like that. Romans chapter 13 tells me that I am supposed to submit to my government and the rulers that are in that government. But I also have instructions in Acts chapter 4 and 5 to obey God rather than men. So that, what that means is whatever punishment may come as the result of disobeying the government, we need to be ready to accept that punishment. I'm not saying we're there yet. But let me tell you, in the private square, excuse me, in the public square, you will be absolutely murdered for these biblical stances that we take. So if my nation says something like that is what we need to do as a primary issue, abortion, then I'm not proud to be an American. And I think there are many people who have lost loved ones, loved ones who have shed their blood in sacrifice for this country, and we're making a mockery of it when we stand up for these rights like that. But I'm a born-again believer. I'm a child of God. And I have a responsibility with the time that I've got here on earth. And that responsibility is not converting everyone to become an American citizen. Nor is it to stand unequivocally for what this nation says is right. What I am supposed to do is win people to Christ. And I'm going to do that. I don't go to people and ask them right off the top, are you for this? Are you for that? Because you know what? What I need them to know is, you know you're going to heaven when you die? Do you know for sure that upon the day of your death, 
you would be in heaven and not in hell. And contrary to what the internet will tell you, people are seeking, folks. They are seeking. They are seeking. I think actually now as we get closer to the rapture, people are going to trust Christ more and more because there's a lot of the silent majority that are saying, what is going on? What is going on? And I think it's shown and proven that our government is not the answer. A new system is not the answer. The answer is, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And you better be ready when he does come. And I'm looking forward to that day. I wake up every day now as if it will be that day. But we have work here to do. But once you put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're a child of God now. There are promises for you. There's responsibilities for you. And one day you will stand before God as his child, not as a countryman from your country. To conclude this thought, I want you to look at one more verse with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 19. It's on page 1233. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That word reconcile means to remove something that's in the way. Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So us here are those that have believed. Paul is speaking and he's saying, you and I have the ministry of removing the things that are in the way from people being reconciled to God. How do we do that? We need to lead them, the lost person, into biblical repentance, which is a change of mind in what they were trusting, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 20 goes into more detail of our position now. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When then as workers together with him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Sometimes chapter divisions can be a little, I wonder why that happened right there. But this is one of them where I feel like that last verse probably could have been added to the end of chapter 5. For those who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, do not take this grace that we have been given and live a life of vanity, emptiness, hollowness. We only have this one life. That's it. That's it. And if we're not careful, we will squander it away for the materialistic idols of our world. Many of you, you'll have barbecues this coming week, maybe even today. You might be even thinking right now, hmm, right? Whatever will be served. I get it. I know. I know. But let me just challenge you for a moment here. This is a great opportunity not for you to bring up politics, not for you to bring up who people are voting for, but ask them, where are you going to go when you die? There's a lot of things that have happened in the past few weeks that surround death. 
I can't imagine what it must have been like in that submarine. I can't. They're pulling up pieces of it. It's, it's crushed like a, you know, like a tin can. Yeah, just instant death. You know where you'll be if that were to happen to you? We think of our sister, Nancy Polson. Has the opportunity to get care, but her body can't withstand it. I know there's probably some fear involved for her, but you know what? They're all settled by comfort one another with these words. If the Lord doesn't come back before it's Miss Polson's time, guess what? She'll go first in the rapture. But there's a promise that she will have that new body. These are things that we can just say, oh, this is the faith of my mother, the faith of my father. Or they can be real for you. They can be real for you. And I, I, I believe they become real the more you put them into practice. You ever heard of someone being shallow? They just have no depth to themselves. They're kind of here and there. They don't have anything really to stand on. Are you a shallow Christian? You're kind of here as you can be, you know, so on and so forth, you know, whatever it may be. Or do you have depth? Are your roots deep in the word? Colossians uses the phrase rooted and established. I think it's so important that we not just be hearers, but doers of the word. Especially in weeks like this where sacrifice is on people's minds, freedom is on people's minds. Tell them about the freedom in Christ because this nation will not endure until the end. It won't. It's not right now. And it's foolish to think that just because we're here, we're going to be free from all persecution. Which I think is a great segue into our study. Let's go to the book of Revelation in chapter 6. I'm not sure what's going on with the air conditioning. Probably nothing much. I don't know. Maybe that's, you know, for what we're going to study. <laughs> Trust me, I didn't plan it that way. <laughs> so last week we reviewed the, or excuse me, a couple of weeks ago, we reviewed the four horsemen of the apocalypse and how they could represent different effects of the Antichrist's rule on the earth. There will be war and famine, which will result in one-fourth of the earth's population dying. Now there's a lot of views on this, folks, and I'm not here to stand and tell you I know exactly what the timeline is. There are a couple of things that I want to show you, and it'll be on the screens here. I tried to print these things out, but it's so hard to get. These charts are so large. If I were to zoom in, it'd literally be pixel upon pixel making a word, and it's, it's no good as if it were as normal size. But I encourage you, if you have a computer, type this in, Blue Letter Bible. They have charts that you can go to. You can type in Revelation charts, you can type in uh, Charles, um, uh, excuse me, Clarence Larkin, and he has a lot of different stuff there. And it, it's good because it takes the approach in the book of Revelation and just follows it out. And right? there's a lot of people who think these judgments are circular. So when you read about the sixth seal, it's really Armageddon. But I, I, I take the Bible in a literal sense, and I see that these things, they, they move through to a logical conclusion. So it's not my intent today to tell you I know for sure exactly when these things are going to happen but I can tell you they will happen in the tribulation period. It's not for today. It's not for today. I do believe that the church will be taken out before these events begin because this time is not for the church. 
And Revelation chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2 say that John was caught up and he was in heaven. The church is not mentioned from that point until the very end when it says in Revelation 22 and verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And he that is a thirst say, come. And if you want to drink of the water, drink of it freely. Isn't that nice? Isn't it not that God is handing you a cup of water to satisfy your thirst, but then he pulls it back and says, ah, 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 church attendance? Oh, 10%? Maybe more? <laughs> Come on. Silly. Silly, silly, silly. So we looked at the first four seals of the seven described by John in Revelation 6, and today we're going to look at that sixth seal and explore the first five of the trumpet judgments. One thing is clear to those who read these events. The earth will undergo a massive series of supernatural disasters. Now I want you to go to Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 12. So as you're there, prepare for that. But I want to talk about something very quickly. There are many hermeneutical approaches to studying the Bible. And I am of the camp where you take things first literally. Okay? And if it cannot be answered or doesn't make sense in a literal way, then you go to the figurative or as an illustration. But one of the things that we have to make sure we preserve is the historical and grammatical approach to the scripture what is happening in a lot of people for example some people who are amillennialists they say we are already there there these things have already come to pass they're just illustrations so when we read about the earthquake it's not a real earthquake it's a convulsion of the nations it's a description of man's suffering that's taken a lot of liberties and I think why that takes a lot of liberties is because we have a historical record, again, historical, of these types of things happening in Egypt. A lot of the plagues in these seals, trumpets, and vials, they are things that we saw happen in Egypt. I believe there's a part of that truth that we have to apply. How much of what John was saying was just a metaphor? Well, if we're not careful, what do you make metaphor and what do you take literally? And then this is why people say, oh, the book of Revelation is so hard to understand. It is hard to understand. The reason why it's hard to understand is because these are for events that have yet to happen. But I think many of them, especially what we're going to study today, are literal. These things will happen. I do not think that it's a coincidence that Hollywood is beginning to entertain and our government is beginning to entertain these ideas of, you know, aliens, different universes, all sorts of stuff. Stuff that started off as comic book material in the 60s is now being studied as a serious thing. I don't think that's a coincidence, especially when you read things like what we're going to read today. Let's take a look. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12, And I beheld... When he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Now, this is a good note here. John says that there was a great earthquake, but when he describes the sun, he uses the word as, A-S. So it's not that the sun becomes sackcloth with hair. That's not what that means. But in the same way of the hair of sackcloth, which is dense, you can't get light through it. What does that mean about the sun? It's darkened. And the moon became as blood. 
And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man. Uh, I wonder who this means. Can I, I'll just be simple. Everybody. Every single person who witnessed these physical changes, they, they had a response. They hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is why I personally, again, personal opinion here, I don't think this is Armageddon because the image that they see of the Lamb is him sitting. So whatever happens here, the sky rolled back. I've heard some people say, well, this could be nuclear war. Could be. But there's a very specific response here. They saw, because heaven was peeled back, they could see into this throne room, and they saw the Lamb sitting, and they, they cried out, I, I need to be hidden. Now, in Revelation chapter 19, and we're not going to go there now because we'll be there in a few weeks, but in Revelation 19, what's the difference between the Lamb, who is Jesus here in Revelation 6, and when he comes back in Revelation 19? He's descending and he's going to make war. That's different. So this seal is just, I want you to imagine what this would be like. An earthquake so devastating that it changes the topography of the land. It's like terraforming. The earth being, the, excuse me, the sky being cracked open and you can see into heaven. Now, we didn't look at the fifth seal, but I want you to see the responses here of those who have died in the tribulation period and those who are still alive during this sixth seal. Look in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. <clears throat> uh, we'll, we'll start in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. I believe these are tribulation saints. They've died. And they cried with a loud, excuse me, cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet, a, yet for a little season unto their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, and that, that should be fulfilled. So they cry out, avenge us. I think it's an important note to see the cry of those who are on the earth during this sixth seal in verse 16. And said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Folks, I have this comment here that I want to read to you because I think it is so accurate. What sinners dread the most is not death, but having to stand before a holy and righteous God. And that will be true of those who are here on the earth and still reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. That will be true of them. Let's take a peek of that in Revelation chapter 9 very quickly. We'll get to this in a moment, but I think it's appropriate to look at it now. Revelation chapter 9, 
The sixth trumpet has sounded by this point. They are in their second woe of three that the angel said would happen. But in verse 20, you read something of an analysis from John. A lot of what John says here, he's reporting, but there's some things that he prophesies, says would be true. Look at verse 20. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their, theft, uh, of their theft. There are two categories here. The immaterial worship and the physical acts of sin that they committed. What you are reading here in Revelation chapter 19 and verses 20 and 21 is the description of those who are in the tribulation period and reject Jesus. There's a strong likelihood when we look at one of the trumpets in, in just a moment here, that people will worship some of these things that come out of the depths of the ground. They'll worship it. You might say, that's, that's just crazy. They're doing it today. They're doing it today. They're, they're worshiping ancient Egyptian gods today. There's a serious problem. Trafficking children. You might not want to find out all these things that are happening because it'll shake you to the core. In countries outside of America, these children don't just disappear for no purpose. Sick. We're seeing it now in the country and the time that we live in today. Oh, it's just, you know, little crystals and little, you know, meditations and stuff like that. It's going to turn into full-out rejection of Jesus Christ. And people are going to take that mark in allegiance to the Antichrist. And we'll look at that next week. But go ahead and go back to Revelation now. And we're going to go to chapter 8. So the seventh seal, when it is opened, there's silence. And then these trumpets come out of it. So, so this, this is why I think it's all linear. When that seventh seal is open, there's silence, and then the first trumpet comes out. So in Revelation chapter 8, uh, verses 6 through 7, we see this first uh, used here. And the seven angels, the first trumpet, at which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. I want to just draw some things here before we look in Exodus for a moment. But the all green grass being burnt up, I think, is a reference to profitable fields of harvest. You remember at this time, when the Antichrist was coming into power, and he was promising peace and safety and all these different things, he was on the white horse, remember? He had an, a, a, a bow as if he were a conqueror. He had a crown, but he had no power. He had no ability to really bring about that peace he said he was going to bring. And then we had war caused by the Antichrist and the, the ten kings that are all there as well. It keeps going through famine, inflation. People can't get regular good meats and people can't get poor quality meats because they're all unattainable. 
and people die. One-fourth die. So now, whatever green grass there is, uh, it's now, it's gone. That's profitable soil now. Burnt up. And a third part of the trees was burnt up. So I want you to then notice, followed by hail and fire mingled with blood. Do we have any example in the Scripture of what that might look like? We do. So hold your spot here, and I want you to go to the book of Exodus in chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. uh, verse 23 through 26. This is on page 81. All right, here we go. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail." So we can see this is, this is a supernatural type of event. Now, I chose not to go into these types of scientific proofs, but there is a way that you can get that kind of product here on the earth. Very, very rare conditions. But the next thing that we're going to look at in the second trumpet judgment, there's a meteor that crashes into the sea and it turns one-third of it into blood. There's not a lot of difference between seawater's chemical composition and that of blood. Really, it's just more iron. It's very likely, very likely, that there could be a meteor that is sent by the Lord as a result of this angel that strikes the earth and totally destroys the water supply. I think it's kind of interesting that everybody's worried about climate change. This is going to be a big change to the climate. And there's not, that, that meteor is not going to get there and say, oh, oh, they're energy neutral. We got to go. We can't. The different earth. It's not going to matter. Isn't it funny how man thinks they are so powerful they can control what God says he has control over? This is why I think what ends up happening in this time is going to shake people to the core. They're not going to know what to do. That's why when the Antichrist steps up, They're just going to keep trusting this guy. All right, go back to Revelation chapter 8. So the fields have been destroyed. There's now hail fire. It's mingled with blood. Now in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 8, we have the second trumpet. And the second angel sounded. And as it were a great mountain, so this again is why I'm going to take this as a metaphor. This is talking about something that's coming out of the sky that looks like this. So I'm going to say it's not literally a mountain, but it's a meteor or some type of large landmass that strikes the earth. And as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea 
and had life, they died. You ever seen red tide before? It's disgusting what it smells like. Okay, put that on a global scale to one-third, and then take note of this. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. The first trumpet, all the green grass (coughs) burned up. I don't know if they'll remain in that condition, but for that period of time, it's going to be hard to get good soil. And now all these ships that are going to and from, passing, coming in, going out, cargo and all sorts of stuff, we kind of see that now. Supply chain issues. And this is without the sea being blood. Hello. Now the sea is going to be turned into blood. And one third of probably what is very heavily relied upon at this time because of the disaster that has just happened to the grass and to the fields, all those ships are going to be destroyed. <laughs> I, you know, this has been on my mind for weeks, right? been studying this. I can't help but when I go to Publix and think, this is a blessing. The fact that I can go in there and get a certain type of Italian sausage for the barbecue tomorrow. Seriously, the fact that I can do that, I am blessed beyond measure. Because there's coming a time where that, you can't do that. People are going to be eating of what they can. We don't, we don't get that. We don't understand this. That's why I think one of the greatest purposes of reading this is to tell people about Jesus Christ so they won't have to be here. There's not anybody that I despise so much that I would want them to go through this. I'm serious about that. When Jesus says it's going to be great tribulation, mm, you better take note. Don't think he was using hyperbole there. Can we see uh, something like this? Yes, we can. Hold your spot and go to Exodus 7. Exodus chapter 7. Exodus is a good read, by the way. It has one of my favorite passages when Moses says, I, I, how, how are they going to believe me? How, how are they going to go and, and do what I've said? And, and God says, who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? Man, it's just such a reminder for those of us who are in ministry to go forth in the power and ability, not of yourselves, but of God. Just do what you're supposed to do, and God will do the rest. But in uh, Exodus chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 20 through 21. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank. Yuck. I can't imagine. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, look, folks, here I am today, and I have this bottled water, okay? It's clean. It's not my personal favorite. I like spring water. I know that's really a preference. But if this is something that I need to live. This just doesn't happen. There's not a bottle-making factory out there that just, poof, water's out there. This comes from a source. If this is in a condition where I can't drink it and I can't get enough of it, 
your boy's going to die very quickly. Now, the second trumpet that we just read, we have an illustration back in Exodus of what that is like. Death and decay in the water. That's not something that just can be filtered out very easily. And if the water literally becomes blood, you can filter it out all you want. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of factories that are ready to do all this. It's going to be chaos. But even then, something worse happens in the third trumpet. Say it isn't so. It's so. Seriously, look in, uh, back in Revelation. Recap, second trumpet, meteor crashes into the sea. One third of it turns to blood. Third of the sea life die. Third of the transport ships are destroyed. The third trumpet now, there's another thing that happens. And the third angel sounded, we're back in Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven. Now this is interesting, uh, and I know this is going to get technical, but the thing that fell before it was as a mountain. This says a great star fell. This is probably some type of comet. And it's not the one where you get out real late or real early in the morning out there in Plant City with no light pollution. You see the meteors like, oh, that's a precious memory I have as a kid. Seeing meteor showers. Uh, I don't want to see this one. A great star fell from heaven, burning as if it were a lamp. It will illuminate. That word lamp there is Greek word for torch. My goodness, what this must look like. And it fell upon a third part of the, uh-oh, <laughs> we still got the rivers. Mm. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. Now, this is an interesting study. You go and study that word Wormwood, and it always comes down to bitter. And it's not like, hmm, that doesn't taste very good. Give me some sweet and low. That's not what this is. And the third part of the waters became wormwood. So John named this star that struck the earth wormwood because of its properties. The rivers were struck there in verse 10. In 11, they are described as bitter and many men died. So it's not just that it tastes bad, but it's not good for you and will kill you. Panic, panic, panic. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Look at the fourth trumpet. And the fourth angel sounded. And the third part of the sun was smitten. And the third part of the moon. And the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Just think about this for a moment. Fields are destroyed. At least a third of the oceans are no longer profitable. What the Bible says here is that a third part of the waters now become bitter. They're not drinkable. The last thing that you would need is less daylight. That's less of an opportunity for you to cultivate whatever products you have to live. But that is the fourth judgment. That's the fourth angel. They're rolled back. And then you hear this. This is very interesting. 13. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Now, there's some, there's some discrepancy on what does that word angel mean. 
Is it an actual angel that flies through? Some people say that should be translated as an eagle that flies through. Whatever it is, it is in a position where the whole world can hear it, and it proclaims this. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. Okay, first woe, that's notable. Second woe, that's serious. Jesus uses that when he talks to those who had rejected him. This is three. It's three in number because we still have five, six, and seven of the trumpets left. But these will be more severe than the ones we just saw. What could be more severe? I hope you have your seatbelt buckled in the pew. Because this is, this is crazy. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. And the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit. Now, some people want to say, well, this is Satan. I don't think so. Satan really comes onto the scene in chapter 12, I believe. I think this is a, a, an angel, not a fallen angel, because he has commands and he obeys them. He's obedient to do it. He opens the bottomless pit in verse 2. This will be the first woe or the fifth trumpet. And he opened the bottomless pit and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And out of there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. Now, there's a lot of characteristics about these things, but I, I, I have come to the conclusion that these are literal they are inhuman, and they're possessed by demons. Why? Look at their attributes. And unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. I don't think John would have described it this way if it wasn't a real locust. Because when you, as a farmer, see a locust, you're like, not good, not good. Going to destroy the what? crops that's what they do you ever you should you should youtube this just youtube swarm of locusts Oof. do it early in the day so you don't have nightmares at night you listen to the sound it's for a farmer it's a death sentence many times and they'll just come through and they'll completely destroy that field and they are they are they are so single-minded on that one task destruction destruction there was a movie that came out recently where they had these CGI big locusts, and I thought, might be getting a peek here. Might be getting a peek of what this looks like. But it says, And it was commanded that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, we didn't read chapter 7, but chapter 7 is talking about the 144,000. Sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, it's not you. But it's talking about how they got sealed and they have a seal. And if you remember in Revelation chapter 6, they say, how long will we have to wait? And God says, wait. You have to wait until those who are going to believe, believe, essentially. So now people are already sealed to be believers. They're, the, they're not going to suffer from this. It's those who have yet to believe. They haven't taken the mark yet. But look at the description of these men. But only those which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. 
Their forehead is going to be taken up by another seal, the mark of the beast. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. So there's some attribute of these locusts. They're modified in such a way that they can literally sting and gnaw, devout. Go look up a locust. Have fun. It's not a pet that you want. They're ugly looking things. They're, and, and they're set for destruction. Now they're released on the earth, demonically possessed, demonically enhanced, to literally torture men for five months. And you would think, well, easy. You could just, you could just end your life. Look at six. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. And shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. I cannot imagine, I can't ima- this is post-apocalyptic, right? <laughs> but this is a description of the first woe. The first one. There's two more. Oh my goodness. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. This is where the metaphorical opinion comes in, that these are like war machines or something like that. I just, I think the description here is that they are strong. And I think what it says about their faces were as the faces of men, not like they had a face like a man, but they had intelligence about them. These are going to be creatures that can discern between grass and trees and humans and torment the humans verse 8 and they had hair as the hair of women and their teeth were as the teeth of lions i don't think it's a good thing to say honey your hair is as that of the locusts in (laughs) revelation 8 (laughs) there's probably a reference to their antennas their teeth were as the teeth of lions Why does it say the teeth of lions here? Because lions are destructive, violent, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings were as the sound of chariots and many horses running into battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and the power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them. There was a leader of these demonic locusts, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abdon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there are two woes more hereafter. And I think that's where we'll stop. Boy, good reading material, huh? Folks, I, I just I think it's so important that you put your faith in Jesus Christ today. We are living in a time where there is a lot. There, I mean, it is plenteous. Like I said, you could go down to the supermarket today and get whatever you want. You want the spring water? Get the spring water. You want distilled for the baby's bottle? You got to get that too. But there's coming a time where all that will not be here. And you can see why when Jesus says, woe unto them in that time who have children and, and, that, and pray that you don't have to flee in the winter. Now we're looking at all the supernatural stuff. Next week, we're going to look at the political stuff that's going on. Because this is not just going to be happening with a world with no uh, leader. There will be a leader. And people will have their allegiance to him. And he'll have a right-hand man. 
And they'll be doing things that people aren't doing today. And many people will be deceived. They'll be deceived. But maybe you're joining us today and you don't know where you're going to go when you die. You'd like to know that you're going to heaven, but if I were to ask you, how do you know? You'd say, I don't know. I hope so. That's probably the number one answer that I get. I hope I'm going to heaven. Well, you don't have to hope. You can know for sure. You can know for sure by who you place your trust in. A lot of people out there that want to tell you all types of things you have to do to get to heaven. You got to have good works. You got to keep the Ten Commandments. You got to do your best. You got to go to church faithfully. You have to turn of your sins. You have to ask Jesus into your heart. By the way, Dr. Lindstrom had an excellent article on Bible Line. It's still there. I think it's called Ask Jesus Into My Heart, where he did the math and he asked Jesus into his heart over 600 times as a kid. Every Sunday, he would go to church and ask Jesus to come into his heart and stay there. That didn't save him. That's what people are saying this morning. It's not asking Jesus into your heart. You can't do that. You don't need him to ask him into your heart. You need a brand new nature. You need a payment for your sin. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. To pay for all of our sin, past, present, and future. To illustrate it, I'll, I'll do it in this way. If this hand represents you and me, I'll let the wallet represents sin. Put this on top of my hand because the Bible says we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God in hell. You've got to be perfect to get to heaven, and we all fall short. That's why we're called sinners. And there's no amount of good deeds that could ever, ever save us. God loves us very much. Romans 5.8 tells us that, that he demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners. He did that. But he hates the sin because it separates us from him. There's no way that we can get to heaven of our own good works. Somebody's got to die for this sin. I let this hand represent Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He is the Lamb who's the only one worthy enough to open that scroll. You read Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. And there's, judgment is coming upon this world and upon those who reject Jesus. You can escape that right now, today. If this hand represents Jesus Christ, this hand is representing you and me, and my wallet represents sin, we can go through John 3.16 and understand it in this way. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does that mean? Here you are as a sinner. Your sin separates you from God. Jesus shed his blood to pay for your sin. When you trust in him, you believe on him and him alone, you receive eternal life. You can enjoy that now. Not waiting for our eternal life to start. It starts the moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And it lasts forever. There is no place for turning from sin because you can't do it. And even if you could do it, you would stand next to the shed blood of Jesus Christ and say, I did it my way? No, no. Otherwise, why would Christ have had to die? Galatians chapter 2 lays that out. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
And if that makes sense to you today, right where you're sitting, you can put your trust in Jesus Christ. Whatever you may have thought when you walked in here, I hope you can see by the scriptural evidence that we've supported. Not saved by those good works. Those good works will condemn you. You're justified by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And once God has justified you, who is He that condemns? It is God that justifies. I know I'm saved into eternal life because the blood of Christ was applied to me. Doesn't matter what some preacher may say. The Bible says I'm saved. So I'm going to believe that. And you can believe that too. I pray it makes sense to you and that you'll put your trust in Jesus Christ today. Please don't wait. You could slip into eternity on the way home. Well, Pastor, that doesn't make me feel good. Well, can I tell you? We don't know when our time is. Don't wait. If you've got questions, ask somebody here. Myself included. I'd be more than happy to chat with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here today and you put your trust in Jesus Christ for the first time, I'd like to pray for you. In a moment, I'm going to ask for a raise of hands, but I don't do that so that by raising your hand, you become saved. I don't ask for a raise of hands so that there can be this big, massive pride moment for myself. I sincerely want to pray for you because what you've decided to do today is a good thing. If there's anybody at all that says, Pastor, I just trusted in Jesus Christ. I I know I'm going to heaven now. Would you pray for me? I certainly would. Would you just slip up your hand and let me know? Anyone at all before we close? God bless you. God bless you. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. I just want to remind you how important it is that we share our faith. That we look at ourselves not just as Americans or just as a countryman from the city and state of our birth, but that we see ourselves as God sees us, ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. Don't live this life in vain. It's so important that you share the gospel with people so they don't have to be here in this horrible period of time that is coming up. We think it's bad now. It will be so much worse. And for the one that trusted Christ today, know that the Bible says you are now never going to come into condemnation again. Ever. You are forever God's child now. And this ministry is praying for you. And we are so glad that you're here with us today. Father, thank you so much for all that you have given us. Thank you for your word and for these prophetic texts that we read. I pray, Lord, that you return quickly. I pray that we, as your children, would be busy about doing your work. Give us strength, Lord, as we live in a world that has fallen. But we do pray that you return quickly. In Jesus' name, We pray these things. Amen.